Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. This word for 2022, uh, we've been talking about how great and how wonderful, how amazing this extravagant grace and overwhelming favour is. But this morning, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey to understand how it works. Because I want to know how to live in the grace of God. Some people visit certain places, like I've visited Cambodia 35 or 37, I've lost count of the number of times I've visited there, but I don't live there. If I lived there, I'd learn the language of it, I'd get the currency of it, and I would build relationships out of that place where I lived. But because I don't live there, I can only say a few words in Khmer. I have a few uh, of the Khmer currency at home, etc., And I've got some relationships with people that are there. But if I wanted to live there, then all that would have to change. And it's exactly the same when it comes to the grace of God. When it comes to the grace of God, I need to learn the language of grace if I want to live there. I want to understand the currency of grace. How does grace work? How do I get more grace in my life? How does it operate even to a greater level in my life? And what can make it operate less? And how do I build relationships out of that? They're all important things for this subject of extravagant grace. So let's go to Genesis 39, verse 1. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who'd taken him down there. Then it goes on and it's got this amazing statement. It says, The Lord was with Joseph. I want you to stop there and look at that a minute. We've just read that this guy sold by his very own brothers, sold into slavery, put up on the chopping block as though he was just another piece of meat at the butchers. And this young man, full of promise and full of dreams, this young man is sold as though he's just another commodity, another piece of, uh, another object to own. And it says this, that he sold into this guy's house. He doesn't get to choose it. He's in a circumstance that he didn't ask for. He didn't design it. He didn't desire. And then it says this in verse 2, but the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. He's a successful man, but he's just a slave. He's a successful man, but he's cut off from his family. He's a successful man, but what took him there was pain and not peace. He never got there because he'd set out to arrive. It wasn't a life goal. Lots of you right now are in places that you did not intend to be. You're in places and circumstances and situations. Maybe you're alone and you never intended to be alone. Maybe you're uh, in a relationship and it's not going so well. Maybe you're in a business that started out with so much promise and anticipation of joy and right now you're in a struggle time in your life. Or maybe you've always been healthy and right now you're in a bit of a health crisis. And I think that makes this verse so absolutely incredible as here is this young man in this terrible place, we'd say, and yet the Bible says that from heaven's vantage point, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw 
that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favour in his sight. Listen to it a minute. Before you find favour in someone else's sight, you first have to be in the favour of God in his sight. The favour of other people, never, never make that number one. Never search out and seek to become famous or to become somebody that everybody approves of. Seek to become somebody about whom heaven says, but the Lord was with him. Now, I promised myself this morning I was going to try and be very calm. And I was going to try and be very quiet and just very laid back. I know it's a pressure time for a lot of people, but I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to drive something home to some of us that are in this building today or with us online. The reality is that the Lord can be with you and nobody else sees it until afterwards. But afterwards, Joseph found favour in his sight. Why? Because he had favour from God in the first place. Then he made him overseer of all of his house and all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house. In other words, the blessing and the favour of God has an overflow component to it. There's something about it. Listen to me. There's something about the grace of God and the favour of God that if it fills your life, you will never be able to contain it. It will go out of your life and into the lives of the people around about you, whether they are believers or not, whether they honour God or not. There will be something about the grace and favour of God that has an overflowing quality about it. It kind of just erupts out of you and goes out of you and people around about you are blessed. Some of you here have got family that don't honour God. Then believe for an overflowing of the grace of God around about your life. Believe for something to overflow. They will notice that there's something different about your life. Can you say Amen? amen. All this favour, but He's a mere slave whose continued existence is at the whim of his owner. In other words, if Potiphar doesn't like him, he can get rid of him. He, can, he literally can kill him. He can get rid of him completely. All of this, and yet in the midst of it all, there's this divine favour. But there's plenty of basis for bitterness. Many people would get resentment in their heart or at the very least disappointment. What happened to the dream? God, you gave me a dream. I know it was from you. Now what's happened to my dream? Where's it all gone? Yet Joseph serves this unbelieving foreign master in the midst of it all. Why? Because your circumstances and mine are no sign of the favour of God on your life. Listen to me. Because some of you are going to be going through something right now and the question arises in your heart, God, you know, whatever happened to grace and favour? Believe for grace, listen to me, believe for grace and favour in the midst of rather than grace and favour that can only turn up when the problem's finished. 
Believe for grace and favour to be in. Come on, I want you to get this today because I'm not here to preach a nice sermon. I'm not sure I've ever been able to do that. But I believe that God wants to hammer something home into the hearts of His people so that every one of us, whether you're here in the building or you're online or you're online later, as I know many will be, I want you to get a hold of this, that right now where you are in the midst of whatever you're in the midst of, start believing, God, your favour is on my life. God, your grace is on my life. I'm going to live out of that no matter what it looks like around about me because what's happening is no sign of whether you're with me or not. So many people feel like God's left them when a problem turns up, but God never left you. Matter of fact, according to Psalm 23, He's even more present in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Because even in the middle of this, you're there, God. Oh God, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. But you're there with me in Jesus' Name. Come on. I want to pray right now for people that are in the midst of. Lord, there are people that are a part of this service. And right now, it doesn't look like there's any grace. It doesn't look like there's any favour. Either in the inner thoughts of their life, nor in their mind, Lord, nor in their circumstance or emotion, nor in the voices of those round about. But you say, God, that you're with us. You said you'd never leave us and you'd never forsake us. Oh, God, we thank you for it right now. Lord, let our hearts be filled. God, touch us again. Holy Spirit, would you touch us again with an awareness of your great keeping grace on our life. You said a thousand may fall at your right hand and uh, 10,000 at your right, but it won't come near to us. God, you're going to keep our life. You're going to keep our life. Lord, I thank you for your keeping power in Jesus' mighty name. Joseph serves the unbelieving foreign master. That tells me something about divine favour, this extravagant grace and overwhelming favour. And it's this, that favour comes on the people of a different spirit. It's not for the ordinary way of responding. But there's something different about people who walk in extravagant grace and overwhelming favour that's different. Listen to these words of Jesus in Matthew 5. You'll have heard them before, I'm sure. Matthew 5 verse 38, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, the people listening to Jesus have heard that every day for hundreds and well, not them particularly, they weren't that old. But for literally over a thousand or more years, this has been the teaching of the law of Moses. And Jesus turns up and acknowledges the law. You've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other one to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. We'll give to him who asks you. From him who wants to borrow from you, don't turn away. You have heard it said, Five times in the book, in chapter five, by the way, in six and seven. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Oh, how many people here go, these verses are some of the hardest in the Bible. Come on, let's be honest. Can we just have a little humanity check here? How many of you here are fully human? Even the hands that didn't go up, I'm fairly confident that's you. But I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemies, 
Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. When was the last time you fulfilled this scripture? Don't point to somebody and go, yeah, it was you last week. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And he doesn't say, because after all, it's just a Christian thing to do. He says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. In other words, when you do something out of a different spirit, you're acknowledging who your Father is. You're demonstrating to the world that you don't belong to the spirit of this world, but you belong to the spirit of heaven. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. These people must have been absolutely flabbergasted because they've lived their life out of this law of reciprocity. Now, Yul Kwan is a Harvard Law graduate. Maybe you've heard of him. If you're a fan of Survivor, then you probably have because he was the winner of Series 13 of Survivor. I heard an interview with him. And uh, that's how I know this, this part of the story to be so. He credits his win to his study of what's called game theory. That's the study of how competition works. For economists, it's a big thing. It's part of how they figure out how the world operates. Game theory says this. If you're nice to me, I will be nice back. But if you are nasty to me, hold on because I'm bringing it back with interest. He says that's the way he won Survivor. It's called the law of reciprocity. It's also called the silver rule, not the golden rule. The silver rule goes like this. Do to others whatever they do to you. If they treat you badly, feel free to serve it up. If they're nice to you, respond until such time as they change and become nasty. Now, this guy won Series 13 of Survivor. But as I heard him in the interview, it's not a law or a rule that works for life. It might work in a competition. Jesus turns up with something completely different. That's why the silver rule got superseded by what we all call the golden rule. The golden rule says this, no matter what you do, I will do unto you the way I wish you would do to me. No matter how you treat me, this is the way I'm going to be. I am going to treat you no matter what, no matter what went before or what comes after. There isn't anything you can do to make me hate you. There isn't anything you can do to make me withdraw generosity from your world because I'm going to do unto you, according to Jesus, do unto others like you would like them to do or to be for you. You see, in the kingdom, the one who initiates is greater than the one who responds. In the kingdom, it's not the person who responds with forgiveness, it's the person who initiates the process. Favour comes on people of a different spirit. I hope today that I'm speaking to people of a different spirit. Whatever they do, however they treat you, this is the way I will be. I'm going to operate according to the kingdom. I'm going to operate with generosity, not because you deserve it, 
but because I'm a child of my heavenly Father. I'm going to operate with mercy and grace, not because you have earned my forgiveness, but because I'm a child of the heavenly Father, and that's His Spirit. For God so loved the world that it turned His back on Him. I think about that a lot. I wonder how God ever can cope with such a, a thing to say. God sees every pain and every heartache. We see what appears on our newsfeed, and yet He sees it all intimately, even the things that we have never heard of. And yet God's response always is one of grace and one of love. So the first lesson is that favour comes on the people of a different spirit. Here's lesson number two. Grace is not a state. It's a flow. Some of you will have heard the expression in religious circles of the state of grace. But there's no such thing. Grace is not a state. It's a flow. Genesis 39 verse 4, we read it. Joseph served this pagan boss. Genesis 39 verse 20 to 22, when he's tossed into jail unjustly, he works for the prison boss. Genesis 40 and verse 8, he offers help to these prisoners, to the king's cupbearer and the king's baker. There was not anything in it for him. He didn't say, when you get out, come back and visit me and I'll help you then. He does it while he's still in the midst of this difficulty and this bad circumstance. When he gets out of prison, when the king's cupbearer finally remembers him, Genesis 41, verse 14 through to 16, he comes and stands in front of Pharaoh, the guy who's in charge of all the evil that's been in his life for the last several years. He doesn't say, you know what? You owe me. He comes before him. And he offers, he says, Pharaoh, let me give you what God says. Let me give you the wisdom that heaven brings. And he, think about this, he offers to help Egypt. He's got no guarantee his brothers are going to come back later on looking for, for, for food because there's a famine stretched into the land. None of that. He can't foresee any of that. He's simply saying to Pharaoh, let me help you. Are you with me? It's very quiet here, right? This is what I know. You might, might want to remember this and write this down. Grace givers find grace rivers. If you're a giver of grace, you'll step into the river of grace and you'll always find more grace. If you're a giver of grace, you'll step into, listen, if you're a giver of grace, you'll step into the river of grace and you'll always find more grace. Jesus told the story about somebody who thought grace was a state. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he'd begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's, that's a weight of silver. But as he wasn't able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and payment be made. The servant fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. What an amazing story. I'll tell you a bit more about that a bit later. But as this guy's leaving the presence of the king, he finds a guy who owes him a hundred pence. 
Now, I've tried to research that and there's varying things that uh, experts say. God, some people say it's up to a third of a year's salary. I've heard as low as about $5.72. So all I know is that it was a relatively important amount to this man. He owed it. And this guy finds him and, and says, where's the money you owe me? The guy goes, hey, give me a break. I promise I'll pay you back. But the guy you got forgiven, who was in a state of grace, he had had a flow of grace. He says, uh-uh, pay me now or else. The guy can't pay him. He throws him into jail until he can pay back the debt. Verse 31 says, When his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he'd called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you your debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? His master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Now here's the kicker. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart doesn't forgive his brother his trespasses. This guy loses his grace because he wouldn't give it to someone else. There's no state of grace. Givers of grace step into rivers of grace and they'll find more grace. I hope that lives with you all week long. Givers of grace find rivers of grace and they'll find more grace for their life. Here's lesson number three. Grace is proportional to what you've received, not what they've done. Grace is proportional to what you've received, not to what's been done to you. According to this passage, Jesus' parable asks the question, after all the grace you've been shown, what you've been asked to give is small in comparison. You know, many years ago, I was only a young single man on staff. I'd left my job in the bank and I'd come to work for the church. Uh, you know, trust me, I, I was the least likely. But somehow or other got picked. And one of my first jobs was driving around a man called Steve Ryder. He's still alive and ministering, I think, in Queensland at the moment. But he'd been a bank robber. Matter of fact, he'd been the worst bank robber because he didn't rob the banks. He robbed the criminals who robbed the banks. He was part of what was called the toe-cutter gang. and They'd go and demand with menaces. And I got to drive this guy around to all these schools where he'd go and share his story about how he went to a Billy Graham crusade and, and uh, while he was on parole, someone invited him. And he heard Billy Graham saying, you can be saved, you can be saved. And he said rubbish and he got and stormed out of the crusade in a fit of anger. Then he ended up going to jail for all of his crimes. Then some people in the jail tried to hurt him. And so he made a table, a leg into a club. And uh, then he beat up these, uh, this other guy so badly the man couldn't walk. And uh, so they put him in a solitary confinement. There he is all alone. And as he told the story, I've heard it a lot. As he told this story, he's in the cell all by himself and it's dark and there's no other person around. And all he can hear though is the voice of Billy Graham. You can be saved. 
You can be saved. You can be saved. And in that solitary confinement cell, Steve Ryder knelt down and he surrendered his life to Christ. Now that's the guy I'm driving around. Jeff, the country boy. The closest I ever came to a crime was pinching some grapes off a neighbour's yard, reaching over the fence and feeling so guilty because I took those grapes. And here I am, little country boy, wet behind the ears and about, you know, 75 pound ring and wet. And I'm driving around this behemoth of a former criminal and he's talking about his story and I'm there thinking, oh God, I wish I had a big story. And the Lord saved me from robbing kids of their lunch. And I, I genuinely, I remember thinking, God, I don't have a story. My story is nothing. And I, I, I think it must have been the Holy Spirit. I never heard a voice, but this thought came into my mind that my small sins sent Jesus to the same cross where he died for Steve Ryder's big sins. That in comparison to my sins, it was the grace of God that was huge. And the reality is that every single one of us, whether you think you've been good or bad, whether you think that you're not so bad and you're pretty good, well, according to Scripture, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. Every single one of us, there isn't any of us that can go and say, you know what, I'm actually pretty holy. Because compared to the absolute blazing holiness of Christ, you and I have got nothing. Isaiah puts it this way. He says, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. And you know, a filthy rag, you don't use it for anything. You chuck it in the bin. If you can't wash it and get it clean, it's just done with. It's useless, good for nothing at all. And Isaiah says, that's what your righteousness looks like. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to show you the extent of God's grace for your life. That Steve Ryder's, you know, menacing torture of criminals was not really in the sight of God any worse than mine. We've all received, according to Romans 5 and verse 17, abundance of grace. Much more they that have received abundance of grace. Lesson number one, favour comes on people of a different spirit. Lesson number two, grace is not a state. It's a flow. And if you want more of it, you've got to give it away. Lesson number three is that grace is proportional to what I've received, not what someone else has done. And here's the last one, lesson number four. Perhaps the most important one of all, there's plenty of grace for every mistake. The king forgave the first servant 10,000 talents. A talent is 58.9 kilos. At yesterday's silver price or Friday's silver price, that adds up to a grand total of $482.98 million. Imagine you owe almost a half a billion and you go and say, please forgive me of my debt. And he goes, sure, it's done. Don't worry about it. You never need to pay it back. It's finished. 
half a billion almost, 482.98 million. And the master had that much grace for this servant. In comparison, he couldn't forgive a, a third of a year's wages or $5.72, whichever researcher you want to take, but whatever it was in comparison to half a billion, it really wasn't much at all. You see, this guy, he didn't give grace to anyone else. You and I are living in a world right now where I think grace is the greatest thing in short supply. Social media and so many, I'm not against it, but I'm, I'm against the division that's happening in our world. I'm against the thing where Christians are against other Christians because of what they believe about some social issue, whatever it might be. Can I tell you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, whatever the issue is, it's not worth bringing division to the body of Christ. Let's be people that step into rivers of grace and give grace. I'm not talking about excuse. I'm not talking about, you know, wishy-washy kind of tolerance where we just go, oh, well, they couldn't help it. Sometimes correction needs to come. Every good parent understands that. But the master had that much grace. I cannot imagine. I've never heard of anyone being forgiven that much. But the master had that much grace. Don't you think he's got enough grace for you? Don't you? What sin have you committed that you go, that's more than that? What thing have you done? What misstep? What mistake? What disconnection's taken place in your life from God? What thing have you allowed to crowd God into second, third, fourth, or fifth, or tenth place? And He says, I've got grace for you. I want you home. I want you to come back. Thousands of people over the last two years have been scattered from out of the people of God. And you know what? What they need is not someone telling my lecturer as to where they went astray. They need someone to come and say, you're welcome home. Come home in Jesus' name. Come back to the Father. There's plenty of grace for every mistake. Let's be grace givers so that we can live in grace rivers and find more and more grace. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for every person that's a part of the service, whoever they are, whatever their background is. And whatever today looks like for them. Thank you that they're here. Thank you that they're leaning in. Thank you, Lord, that they're allowing you to continue the journey of making them like Christ. And Lord, thank you that none of us have arrived there yet. We're trusting you for our journey onwards that you'll help us. Father, I pray particularly though for people who've never stepped across the line of putting their trust in you. Or maybe they did, but lost their way and now they feel disqualified. Lord, all you're saying is, I've got grace for you. Would you come home and get some? I've got grace for you. Father, I pray for those that are in the middle of something and they need grace and favour in the midst of it. Help them today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you're one of those people I just spoke about and you say, Jeff, I've I'm not connected to God. There's a lot of people who have never ever heard the gospel. They've heard religion. They've heard a lot of things. I'm always amazed at the things people say the Bible says. And the Bible says nothing like it. So many people haven't read it enough and distilled it enough to hear the truths that are so powerful inside of it. And here it is. 
Yes, we've all sinned. Yes, we've all fallen short. Yes, none of us could hold our head up in the court of heaven. But here's the great news is that there was a Jesus who died on a cross because He's the Saviour and He's the Saviour who saves. Amen. My good friend Marcus Ardern was saying to me this week, we were just chatting about things happening across the world. And he said, all I know is this, that I have a great Saviour, a great Saviour who saves. If you've never done that, never said yes to Jesus, why don't you do that today? Wherever you are, in the building or online, in this time frame or in another one, you can say, Jesus, I want you in my life. Would you lead me? I'm going to surrender the reins of my life, the steering wheel. I'm going to let you drive. I'm going to be a follower of yours. If that's you and you're saying yes, then right up on the screen right now is how you can do that so easily. If you're in Australia, text yes, Y-E-S to 488 If you're outside of Australia or you want to get a help via email, it's yes.metrochurch.org.au. If you're on metrochurch.online, the Yes tab's there. The people we spoke about a bit earlier, Sebastiano and Rashida, they're actually the people there, not on staff, they're people that lead and volunteer in our church. They'll be the ones who will be sending that to you. So you know it's coming from someone. And they're praying for you. And then lots of the rest of us, we're praying for you. We're saying, God, help that person in their journey with you. And then every day for 30 days, you can opt out whenever you like, but hardly anyone ever does because the encouragement's so powerful. They get on one screen of the smartphone, a Bible verse every day, one you can understand, don't worry. And a prayer. We put the prayer there because we want to help you start talking to God because it's such an important part of the Christian life, having conversation and being able to transact with God. So we want you to be able to do that. So that'll be there for you. Can we give all those people a great big hand? Come on, we just want to say well done, those of you that are saying yes to Christ. Amen. Thank you all the people. There's people all over online at the moment. There's more amens than they're all over it. Uh, So I know the people are being touched right where they are. I want to encourage you this week. Listen to me. There'll be somebody this week that needs your grace. There really will. There'll be someone this week where your inclination might be to allow frustration to get the better of you. Let your own frustration boil up. But the Lord's with you. Amen. I don't know about you, but I want to be in a river of grace. Oh, I want to have more and more grace in my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Come on, let's stand together. We're going to worship the Lord for a minute and then Pastor Bruce will be taking ministry time live in the studio. If you need prayer and you're here in the building, please come forward. Pastor Ray's down here. He'd love to pray with you. This morning, ask God to heal you, save you, to help you, whatever it is that you need in Jesus' name. Thank you, Dr. Ruby. Come on, let's worship the Lord for a minute before we go. Come on.